It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's in a rather wet, it's rather British actually, in terms of the weather, uh, Bay Area. Today I'm joined by journalist, pundit Emma Burnell in London. We're not going to bother with the US today, we're just going to look at the deepening crisis in the UK. Nearly three years have passed since the public voted to leave the European Union. It was the biggest democratic exercise in our country's history. I came to office on a promise to deliver on that verdict. In March 2017, I triggered the Article 50 process for the UK to exit the EU, and Parliament supported it overwhelmingly. Two years on, MPs have been unable to agree on a way to implement the UK's withdrawal. As a result, we will now not leave on time with a deal on the 29th of March. This delay is a matter of great personal regret for me. And of this I am absolutely sure. You, the public, have had enough. You're tired of the infighting. You're tired of the political games and the arcane procedural rows. Tired of MPs talking about nothing else but Brexit when you have real concerns about our children's schools, our national health service, knife crime. You want this stage of the Brexit process to be over and done with. I agree. I am on your side. It is now time for MPs to decide. So today I have written to Donald Tusk, the President of the European Council, to request a short extension of Article 50 up to the 30th of June to give MPs the time to make a final choice. Emma, I must admit, I'm totally bewildered, but I want you to tell me, first off, after this week, I'm not even taking a premiership as a whole, how do you think we're going to remember Theresa May? I'm, I'm guessing that she, you know, we're going to say she's the weakest PM, mm. leading the weakest government in UK history. 
at a time when we need leadership more than ever and a time when we need national consensus building. Mm. Um, go. How are we going to remember this woman and her premiership? I mean, not well, let's face it. Um, Theresa May has just made mistake after mistake after mistake. Um, it's David Cameron's fault that we're in this mess. I think, I think he, he needs to have his fair share of the blame. Mm-hmm. But it's Theresa May who has fundamentally failed to work out how to, how to deal with that. You know, she was supposed to come in as the grown-up in the room. This is very much what her pitch was when she um, stood for leadership of the Tory party. You know, she, was gonna, she was a Remainer who was going to bring the Leavers along. So the idea was that she could bring the both sides together, but that just hasn't been how she's approached anything. Um, it, you know, she's been a bit. Has she just been? Has she been just more concerned with not having the Tory Party split over national unity? Because that's the only way that this. Well, I think there's two defining characteristics of Theresa May for me: that she's somebody who has actually got an eye on her legacy as a historic prime minister. That's going to take. Britain through change I think and she sees herself I think heroically in that guys and then wrapped up in that is a whole load of Church of England duty to nation and then there is the fact that she doesn't want to be seen as the person that destroys the Conservative Party the oldest political party in the Western world yeah I think that's absolutely the case I think um, there are a couple of things going on here Uh, Mm. I think that you know just carrying on duty thing is absolutely the case i don't think even theresa may is now under any illusion as to what her legacy is going to be so i don't think she's still working for a legacy i think she's just trying to get through through it all right so you you mentioned david cameron before and he does seem to have got off the hook somewhat considering that this is a Tory party manufactured crisis. Um, But why hasn't the Tory party taken a bigger hit in the eyes of the public for bringing the nation to the edge of this? Well, we're not even on the edge of a national crisis. We're in a national political crisis. You know, you think about it in the last, what, three years, uh, the Tory party have had a failed coup. They have a party within a party with the ERG. There's been an unsuccessful election campaign that has strengthened the Labour Party. Um, Theresa May has created the hung parliament with its inability to find a majority for anything. She is emboldened and empowered the speaker who is thwarting um, government policy, if there is such a thing, and we're approaching full-scale collapse. So why is it that with all these strikes against it that the Tory party seems to be doing as well as it is in the polls? I mean, I think it's the same with Leave and Remain. People are just so divided and... Usually when you have one party this much in chaos, the other party is not uh, and mm-hmm. strengthens itself and goes through um, a, a renaissance. Unfortunately, um, that's not really what's happened here. Um, what we've got is a Labour Party who are also fighting them amongst themselves um, over a th- some very real things, um, the anti-Semitism crisis, which I think we discussed on the last episode, um, and also some very ideological things. So the Labour Party has gone quite far to the left. Um, now, those of us who are on the left think this is probably about time. 
um, mm. certainly economically. Um, there, but along with that comes a whole load of other things that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. So, like, there's this whole basket of issues that get put together and called the left, which includes some very um, un, un, so isolationist approaches to foreign policy, which is kind of where your idea of Lexit comes from. Have you heard of Lexit? Uh, yeah, I, I have. There you go. Uh, left it, it, Brexit. Exactly. <laughs> Unicorns, but with a red rosette. <laughs> exactly. I kind of characterise them as um, lefties who who their political view of the European, uh, sorry, of the common market was formed in the 1970s and has been fossilised in that position ever since. 100%, yeah. Um, they are, you know, the, the social aspect of the European project, which is a really, really important part of um, what's happening in them. So, for example, um, UK law cannot, while we're a member of the EU, overturn EU laws on workers' rights. So a lot mm. of the protections that we have uh, are protections against a Tory government um, trying to undermine workers' rights. Now, you can make as many promises that we will not do X, Y or Z in this parliament, but when we leave the EU, we lose that protection. So any future government could undermine workers' rights. Now, this has been a hugely changing part of the EU since it's set up. And it has been so for the last 20, 25 years. Why the Tories really hate it now? Because it has gone from being what was considered a capitalist club to a much more complex political project. Mm. And one that they also see as having some level of sovereignty over us. But let's turn away from the philosophical and let's try and understand what exactly has happened this week because the whole world is laughing at us and yeah. uh and, and basically why wouldn't they because we look absolutely uh pathetic and impotent we look batshit sorry All i don't right, know if so, you swear on this <laughs> no, well, we do now we do now <laughs> so thank you for creating that precedent um what has happened this week give us a snapshot um Obviously, our British listeners are going to be like, we know exactly what's happened this oh, week. Oh, I don't think they will. Nobody seems to know exactly what's happened. <laughs> All right. So in words of very few syllables, yeah. um, step us through where we are. It's Friday. Um, yeah. How did we get here this week? So um, the first thing that happened. So there was an intention from Theresa May to bring her deal back for a third vote this week. A meaningful mm -hmm. vote three. Um, I'm not sure how you can keep calling things meaningful if they keep being ignored, but that's by the by. On, I think it was Monday, the Speaker said, no, we have this rule in the House that says you can't bring things back once they've already been voted on within a certain, within the, a certain legislative period. If they've been voted on and rejected by yeah, Parliament. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the Speaker's like, you can't do that. I mean, it is a rule from 1604, to be fair, but it's still a rule that sits in the rule book. Mm -hmm. um, so the Speaker did that. Then there was absolute chaos because no one thought he was going to do that. I mean, people had been discussing it, but only in a, <laughs> that won't happen kind of a way. <laughs> um, mm. So the government were completely unprepared for that. So then um, Wednesday, Theresa May goes on television 
and makes the stupidest speech any politician may have ever made, um, where she basically lay the feet of uh, lay at the feet of MPs all of the blame for the situation that we're in. Now, these are the very same MPs that she has to convince to come and vote for her deal, having already refused to do so twice. Now, I don't know about you, I used to work in sales. I've got a fair sense of how negotiation works. Given that was her approach to the MPs, no wonder her deal's so bad. <laughs> so that's, that was Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Then last night, um, she was in Brussels to ask for an extension. So mm. we it actually put in law that we were going to leave on the 29th of March. Mm-hmm. A short time after that, we said, well, yeah, we'll sort of leave, but there'll be this transition period of two years, right? Yeah. Um, and then, now we're not even going into the transition period on the 29th of March. Except we might be, because at the moment, the only thing that stands in law is that on the 29th of March, if there is no extension and there is no agreement, we will leave without a deal at all. We will crash out of the EU, the planes will fall out of the sky, uh, we won't be able to get the medicines anymore. I am stockpiling I, I, food. I thought we'd those 747 Boeing maxi jets, I thought they'd all been grounded. Well, those ones have, but, uh, but, we, right. yeah, we, but, we, but we, we need permission to fly over Europe. Yeah, we are part of a Europe-wide aviation policy. We don't have anything um, that is in place to, to replace that in, in the case of a no-deal scenario. All right. So it's not that our planes are going to fall out of the sky, just that they're going to be grounded. They're going to be like, grounded. Or, or they're going to have to, like, skirt round the toe of Italy or something or another. Well, we just won't be able to... No, it, it's not even... Um, it, we can't go left because that's Ireland, and we can't go right because <laughs> that's France. <laughs> we are... <laughs> well, basically, we can't go anywhere. <laughs> oh right okay that so that's where we've got so the eu have said we will give you a short extension to the 22nd of may if you pass your deal mm-hmm. but having pissed off all the mps it's very unlikely that her deal will pass so now we either have no deal crash out on the 29th of march mm-hmm. we have a long much longer extension to work out what the hell we're going to do of probably two years, a year or two at least. We revoke Article 50, either permanently or to say, look, we're going to revoke it. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. It's Friday. Mm. So that we can, so either permanently or go, you know, this is a bloody stupid idea. Let's not do it. Just revoke the whole thing. And there's actually a petition on the government website. Um, and since Theresa May's speech, that um, petition went up and it's now at three and a half million signatures. There's that or that she gets her deal passed with the Carl Wilson Amendment that I was talking about last week, where the Labour agree to abstain on the deal as long as she agrees to a confirmatory referendum. And tomorrow there will be a march through London. I will be speaking at the rally being held for the left mm-hmm. beforehand. Can, can you give us a shout out be, be, just as you start your start your speech, please? Yeah, yeah. I'm Midatlanticshow.com. Sure <laughs> well, I'll be wearing my open labour t-shirt, so I'm all about the branding. Oh, okay. 
So the, the march they're looking at, like, it's going to be huge numbers. There were 700,000 people on the last one. There are more coming this time. Um, the other thing that I've missed from this story, because it was very easy mm. to miss, was the Brexit betrayal march, which is a bit more of a trudge, really. Um, where Nigel Farage went up to uh, Sunderland and said, let's have a big, big march and we're going to march 200 miles and about three people and a dog went with him and then he didn't finish the march in the slightest. <laughs> no, <laughs> didn't, didn't he finish after 500 metres or something? Yes, yeah, something like that, like, yeah. I and mean, it was just pathetic. It, if you want a metaphor for Brexit, dragging a whole bunch of people to march through the rain with you and then not turning up is just a classic Brexiteer, really. It's- Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. In the first scenario, that is, if the withdrawal agreement is passed by the House of Commons next week, the European Council agrees to an extension until the 22nd of May. In the second scenario, that is, if the withdrawal agreement is not approved by the House of Commons next week, the European Council agrees to an extension until the 20th of April. 12th, 12th of April. (laughs) While expecting the UK to indicate a way forward. What this means in practice is that until that date, all options will remain open. And the cliff edge date will be delayed. UK government will still have a choice of a deal, no deal, a long extension or revoking Article 50. The 12th of April is a key date in terms of the UK deciding whether to hold European Parliament elections. If it has now decided to do so by then, the option of a long extension will automatically... Let's go through these, um, these, these potential options because... When I heard what Tusk and Barnier had uh, said, 
I got one meaning from it, but looking at the commentary, there is another. So uh, Tusk, oh no, Tusk and Junker, sorry, had a press conference today. Donald Tusk said today that the EU has formalised the Brexit decisions taken last night. Uh, and, and this is kind of kind of what he said. He says, as of yesterday, it means that until April the 12th, anything is possible. I didn't realise that when I, when I first heard this yesterday. A deal a long extension, which is what you've just said, mm. um, if the United Kingdom decides to rethink its strategy or revoke Article 50, which is a prerogative of the UK government. Mm. The future of Brexit is in the hands of our British friends. Right, so let's now um, try and go through, um, first off, just whilst I'm looking, looking through my notes here, what exactly is an indicative vote? So an indicative vote, is where the Commons will say, well, look, these are all the options, just as you've mm -hmm. done. These are all the different things that might happen. How do we feel about them? Um, how do we... And they normally, votes in the Commons are up or down, I or no. But what they're talking about is perhaps trying to do this with some sort of STV-type voting system so that they can rank the choices. So this is the thing Parliament most wants, this is the thing Parliament least wants. And then that will help them then get behind one of the options is the idea so that we can take the temperature of what parliament wants okay and theresa may won narrowly was it last week the week yeah. before i can't even remember just things just moved so fast yeah by two votes by two votes um the ability to still steer the course of brexit but now she's somewhat stymied by uh, by not being able to have the extension that she wanted, which is until June, the European Union have said, no, we're only going to give you an extension for a much shorter period of time if your vote gets through. So there's going to be a third meaningful vote, meaningful being that MPs will not be whipped. Yes? Uh, no, MPs will be whipped in the meaningful vote. OK. What does meaningful mean then? Meaningful um, just means that Parliament has the final say, which is why oh, okay. she's in trouble. Because Parliament is saying lots of no, but mm. no yes. But the problem is Parliament, because they kind of didn't really think it through, the one thing Parliament said yes to right at the beginning of this process when they voted to trigger Article 50 was a no-deal Brexit. Now, there is not a majority for a no-deal Brexit in Parliament, and they voted by about 200 votes last week to take no deal off the table, which is all very well, but actually, um, that is the only thing, that is the current table. Um, and I've just, just as we were speaking, there's a story come through which says that a secret Cabinet Office document is revealing chaotic plans for no-deal Brexit, and saying the critical phase, i.e. the bit where we can't get planes off the, la the ground, we can't get medicines, we can't get foods, could last not days, not weeks, but months. So I have not stockpiled enough food, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we go into, because I really want to step through these potential scenarios okay mm -hmm. before i do that i'm gonna go all the way back because i as i kind of said in my first question to you Theresa may has proven to be the non-charismatic non-consensual politician that we did not deserve mm. what however we arrived at brexit a vote where 
52% of the UK population has voted against its economic interests. However we got there, we didn't need this person mm. leading us. I think it's a really interesting choice of words there. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe Theresa May is the Prime Minister we deserve. She's definitely not the one we need. Why, why do you think we deserve her? Well, I mean, I don't think I deserve her because I feel like I made the right choices. But we are becoming a, a... And we are, on both sides, very, very pick-headed and stubborn and unwilling to compromise and unwilling to talk to the other side. And given that those are becoming our national characteristics, they are embodied in that Prime Minister. Mm. You know what? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think when I try and analyse who she is as a person because she's she's so much of a blank slate mm. you you can see with um let's say margaret thatcher and i'm old enough to remember when she was elected mm. you know i was a junior school and i remember that day with margaret thatcher you knew who she was she told you who she was i'm a grocer's daughter i believe that um domestic finance in effect is national finance i'm i'm, I'm on about penny pinching at home i'm on about setting people free economically she would say mm. but this was all to do with her upbringing whether you agreed with her or not you understood who she was yeah yeah you understood who Harold Wilson was. You know, I come from the northern bit of the country. I'm from this tradition of, of uh, unions and labour, etc. So you understood it. Mm -hmm. This woman seems incredibly out of step, though. The one thing I will say about her, I think she's a great dresser. I think she doesn't get enough plaudits and props. She's a very stylish woman. Mm. And, and I like a politician that, that, that can dress. Whatever. However, if I put that to one side, I know nothing about her. Mm. I know nothing about actually what she really feels or thinks about anything. And I said months ago, not that I have any sway or influence other than uh, the 10,000 people that listen to this podcast, <laughs> but her podium speech is what she should have done 18 months ago. But with the caveat of saying, I will deliver to you the British people what you said you wanted, which is Brexit. This is going to be a hard process because we voted against our economic interests, but we voted against it for historical, emotional and for heartfelt reasons. But we need to understand that every government indices, every government study that we do says we're going to be poorer because of it. Yeah. However, this is what you said that you wanted. I will do the best job that I can. And I need the country behind me. Mm -hmm. If she'd have said this 18 months ago, she could have been one of the, at least for a time, one of the most popular mm -hmm. politicians in Britain. She could have literally delivered the speech that she did a couple of days ago with a couple of caveats saying, this is going to be hard because we voted against our, our economic interests. Economic interests aren't all, but we have. Yeah. And I need to safeguard British jobs, British industry, and that is what's going to make this difficult. I need you behind me. She'd have done that. You'd, you'd have had people applauding in their living rooms, raising cups of tea in her honour. What she, what she did, I mean, a version of that speech would have been, um, would have led to a much softer Brexit. Um, she would have almost certainly have ended up in some sort of Norway-style Brexit. 
if she'd listened to both Leavers and Remainers and found some way to land in the middle, we'd probably end up with that kind of a deal. Now, I don't think that's an ideal deal because you're then a rule taker, not a rule maker, but it would be better than both her deal and a hard Brexit. But what she did instead, and I think this is in part because, because she was a Remainer, she decided to go all in on the Leave side to kind of prove herself, to prove that she could to the right of her party. And she's left herself completely hostage to them. They're obsessives. They're completely obsessive. And but, aren't, but aren't we, aren't the Remainers, aren't we obsessive too? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying that, yeah, I mean, there are people who will be on that march together who will drive me absolutely mental because they're exactly why we left. You know, some of the snobbery I heard on the last march was just so self-defeating. But what the problem that Theresa May has in particular, Theresa May's completely ignored Remainers. She's ignored the the people who are in the middle who are not really sure, probably want to go one way or the other, but can we do it sort of quite gently? And what, so she's left herself in hock to the very, very hard Brexiteers. And she thought that her deal could satisfy them, but there was no deal that could satisfy them. They want no deal. That, you know, they are completely, yeah, they, and I've made this point before many, many times. If you give someone a bit of red meat, they don't get less hungry, they get a taste for blood. You know, that's what they want. And you, you by, by leading them down a path saying that I'm going to agree with you, these are my red lines, these are your red lines, and then finding the only deal that actually satisfied those red lines that also worked with things like the Good Friday Agreement, they were never going to get, get fall in behind her. And she's left herself so vulnerable and to spend two years upsetting everyone who's not part of that group so they won't come to her rescue either. Mm. All right, let's step through potentially what can happen um, starting from next week. Let's just say that there's going to be no political machinations that happen over, over the weekend um no resignations we're not going to hear that cabinet members are you know are, are literally putting a knife in everything is just calm until this meaningful third vote so um let's uh, let's say that her vote is approved what what can you just give us a rough sense of the arithmetic when it was voted down last time uh she lost by 200 and something votes the first time and 140, I think, something votes a second time, which is the largest ever defeat in Parliament and the fourth largest ever defeat in Parliament. OK, so... So she's got to change the minds of about 70 MPs. 70 MPs. And with... Surely there must be some ERG members that are going to say, well, no, because they want to crash out. So she's not going to get any ERG members. She'll, she might get some of them. She did get David Davis and Nadine Dorries last time, for example. Um, must, but she won't get few, enough of them. Uh, how about a few wavering, you know, Labour MPs want to get rid of Corbyn's yep. whip? There yep. were definitely a few people who um, were looking at breaking the whip to support the deal. Um, Lisa Nandy, for example, was one of them. If you look at Lisa Nandy's response to Theresa May's speech, she's not one of them anymore. Mm -hmm. But let's say if she does then pass that, that means we would Brexit in May. Uh, yeah, May 22nd. 
Okay, right. So if we get a no, right? Yeah. Um, we have an extension until April the twelfth, and that date is mandated by the EU. Yeah. Yeah. Then MPs, Parliament, take matters into their own hands. Yes. Uh, so yes, ish. Um, <laughs> they have to vote to do so. Um, uh-huh. And that's not necessarily um, what they're going to do. I think they probably will vote for indicative votes. Vote, um, but there is still the case that if we can't come to a conclusion, we crash out with no deal on the 29th of March. Okay. So there could be a whole series of votes saying, "Do we want to ex- uh, Do we want a long extension? Um, what other options are there?" Uh, so the other options are revoke um, Article 50, um, mm-hmm. and that could either happen, and we could just go, yeah, no, no. Um, which I think if that happened, there would almost certainly have to be a general election um, because it would just be such a constitutional crisis. Um, and I think that then if if she revoked Article 50, her, her own side would vote with Labour in a vote of no confidence. Um, and have a new Tory leader at a general election. Um, okay. Now, the general election would be very interesting because it would be very interesting to see what Labour put in its manifesto, um, what it decided its policy, because you could have, again, two parties who essentially ran on a soft Brexit versus hard Brexit, which is what 2017 actually was, despite the fact that a lot of the Remain vote went to Labour, which is part of why it was so successful. Um, now, Labour Party members would probably want its, their Labour to be the party of Remain in a general election. Um, but the leadership don't necessarily agree with that. So it would be very mm. interesting to see how that would go. So that's one we... option is to revoke. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you were about to say something. No, no, no. Go, go, go through the various options. Okay. Cause I was about to de- derail the, the, this whole line of thinking. <laughs> but, you know, so let, let, let's go through it in its entirety. Um, the other option is to... Um, Put it to a second referendum, put it to a vote again. Um, now, again, I'm, I'm very much in favour of this. I, full disclosure, I work two days a month for Labour for a People's Vote. So, you know, this is something I care about very much. There are issues. Obviously, people who um, voted leave in the first referendum may feel very much like they're being ignored. And that that is a, a, a problem, uh, a democratic problem um, that would need to be very carefully dealt with. That vote could be just as inconclusive, whether it was won by either side. If it was won in that kind of that tighter margin again, mm-hmm. what what then? We go for a third vote, <laughs> and there is currently not a majority in Parliament in favour of that. Now, the way that might happen is, as I say, to do this thing which is called the Carl Wilson Amendment, and that is basically says, Theresa May, we will allow your deal to go through as long as you agree to a confirmatory referendum. And that confirmatory referendum will be your deal or remain. Um, okay. So, and let's just step back so people can follow this. So if, as we all suspect, Parliament votes no mm, next week, yeah. those are 
the options, which fundamentally mean... Well, again, I cannot stress enough the third option, mm -hmm. which is the current default option, is that we leave with no deal on the 29th of March. And the planes fall out the sky. And the planes... Well, they don't, they don't get into the sky in the first place. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Let's go back, right? One thing which I could be accused of doing on this show is to always take pot shots at the right. <laughs> I think they're well-deserved. I think I'm somewhat restrained. I always try and be measured. But there is an inherent uh, conflict within the Labour Party between its members, its core traditional support and then with its parliamentarians. But I'm going to leave the parliamentarians out of this just for now. Mm. Labour Party members are almost solidly Remain. Ideologically, emotionally, they are Remainers. Whereas traditional Labour supporters, so I'm not talking about the newfangled, highly educated metropolitan elites. You know, we're talking about your guy that lives in Stoke, in Doncaster. Those types of traditional Labour supporters who are actually more socially conservative than the Labour Party would like to admit are overwhelmingly at least two-thirds leavers. There's inherent contradiction there, inherent tension isn't there, in Labour's core vote. How does it resolve that? I mean, it's interesting. I'm not sure that that's strictly true. Um, certainly it is true that a lot more Labour MPs represent these Leave constituencies in the North and Midlands. But mm. actually within those constituencies, there's much more variety in the, um, in the vote than is traditionally understood. So, for example, it may well be that you're a Labour MP who represents a Leave voting area, but the majority of your voters voted Remain. So it's more complex than we like to think. But there is, I mean, the, this is the problem, is that we, we are a country that has traditionally run our politics down left-right lines. And actually, we have discovered through this referendum, through the Scottish referendum, various other things, that we are actually a country that run, the, the, the divide is different from that. That it is about, some people call it open, closed, you know, the leave remain, internationalist versus nationalist, whatever you want to call it, that is actually the fault line in our society. And our traditional parties are really struggling with that because they themselves are split in those ways um, internally. So it's, mm. we do not, our politics is not yet adjusted to the reality that we find ourselves in. So w w with that analysis, uh, the independent group, their emergence is a reaction politic on the ground and and what we've seen all throughout the western world which is one of the reasons why five years ago I started doing this podcast is a fundamental realignment so you have weird things like tucker carlson in the united states mm. right-wing uh pundit talking head blowhard <laughs> who actually in many ways agrees with the program of bernie sanders so he talks about the economic insecurity of American working class. And he says that in a share-owning democracy, with the profits of companies being siphoned off to a small group of shareholders, what you have is increasingly a squeezed 
pool of labour in terms of what it gets in terms of remuneration. Whereas in the 1950s, um, Boeing or uh, General Motors wouldn't pay their secretaries or their guys on, on the factory floor the minimum wage. They did it to a fa- the minimum wage to a factor of two. Mm. Whereas now, Amazon pay people the minimum wage because they have to be in thrall to, to kind of shareholders. And that kind of goes to the heart of really what you're saying about this realignment of politics, doesn't it? That you can have elements on the right and the left, so you can have Lexiteers and you can have Brexiteers. Mm. And you just think, how the hell can somebody like Jeremy Corbyn be lined up with a toff, a faux toff, like Jacob Rees-Mogg? I don't think he is faux. He is definitely, definitely very, very, very posh. I mean, he's... But he's not a toff, though, is he? He's actually, he's, um, his dad wasn't a member of the aristocracy. No. No, I suppose he's not as posh as he pretends to be. He's just, I mean, he's just so bizarre. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very odd. We have these weird, as, as you say, weird, weird realignments now. Um, I mean, there is a real question to be asked about um, the emergence of people looking at, you know, wage, uh, from the right, looking at wage disparity and the iniquity of share, um, share-based capitalism. The problem is, is that you can say this is wrong as much as you want, but for me, the only solutions that work come from government, and they are the same people who are saying we need less government, um, smaller government. So sharing an analysis with Bernie Sanders is not the same thing as sharing a solution with Bernie Sanders. I'd fundamentally agree with that because Tucker Carlson tomorrow is not going to endorse him to be the democratic um, you know, option for president. But in terms of his thought process, it, it is interesting and it does trip you up. But of course, there are other thoughts and core beliefs that he has, which then swing the completely the opposite way. Because he talks about American values. He talks about the fact that when immigrants come, they have to sign up to be American and have American values Mm. and we know that that is code for a kind of I would say 50 year old view of what an an American actually is. Yeah absolutely. I mean I think you know Tucker Carlson would not see Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez for example as embodying American values whereas I think she absolutely does. Mm. I I think that's incredibly fair but but just to kind of wrap this kind of like uh, mental kind of meandering that I've done, there is definitely um, a strain of populism on the right and mm-hmm. the left, yeah. which actually does actually coalesce. And we're seeing it, whether it's to do with Brexit, uh, Lexit, and to do with the ever widening poles of American politics, that actually some elements of the to the right and to some elements of the left of American politics actually can converse and actually do concur on certain issues. Yeah. There are other issues then that still keep them apart to do with intersectionality, to do with identity, uh, but they can actually, on, on so, you know, in a way which mm. has been unprecedented in the last 100 plus years of Western politics that they can actually uh, break bread, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Right, so... And there you go, American listeners. We've managed to squeeze America into this. Uh, <laughs> we got you in there somewhere about <laughs> Brexit. So, 
what does the EU think about us? What is Macron oh saying? What, uh, what is Merkel saying about <clears throat> Britain, British politicians and our Prime Minister? They are sick to the back teeth of us. They are so fed up with us. They just have had absolutely 100% enough and you can't blame them. Um, Macron is just saying, look, just sod the lot of you at the moment. He, I mean, he's been threatening to do things like um, veto uh, an extension. Now, he's not probably going, not going to do that. But then every time I say, oh, that's probably not going to happen, so, you, know, you elect Trump. We um, <laughs> uh, Brexit, yeah. But they're just, I mean, they just look at us with horror and they just, they don't think. I mean, the key thing, I think, is that they just don't think we're taking this seriously. They look at Parliament completely stymied. Um, they look at Theresa May going back and asking for the same things over and over and over and over and over and over again. They look at um, the complete uh, inability of the two sides to talk to each other in a meaningful way. They And they're just in horror. And I think for them, as much as foremost for anybody else, it's like... This was supposed to be the easy bit. This is the withdrawal agreement. We're not even talking about negotiating the trade deal that we want to come out after this. That mm. And trade deals are the big, big complicated part of you know, most international um, treaties or anything. So we have got ourselves into this position where we've massively frustrated, annoyed and upset them, constantly ber- berated and denigrated them, and yet are expecting during the transition period, whenever it happens, however long it lasts, to then turn around to these people in that mood and go, can we have a really, really good trade deal, please? Like, again, I go back to my original point of that's not how you negotiate. What's going to be the lasting legacy of the last three years with us trying to Brexit, whether we Brexit or not? Right. What's going to be the historical legacy that when people look back at Britain um, 2016 to 19, what are they going to say? What are the history books going to say? We're a very, very broken country. And I think whether you're a Remainer or a Lever, the chaos that we're in at the moment, the febrile atmosphere that we're in at the moment is is the legacy. Um, You know, that that referendum broke us. Um, and it's going to take a really, really, really long time, whether we leave or whether we don't leave, it's going to take a really long time to build that back. And it's going to take people wanting to do that. And at the moment, because we're in this moment of populism, um, populism of the left and populism of the right, <coughs> there isn't a desire to reach out to the people who disagree with you uh, and to try to build that back. So that, you know, even to start that work is going to be difficult and hard and will take a long time. Are you arguing again for an expanded TIG, the independent group? There are people who are saying we're in the middle, we are moderates, you know, but we can include um, MPs of, of left and right. <laughs> you know, we, we can talk. I cannot tell you how hard I'm shaking my head at the idea that I would ever (laughs) endorse TIG. Uh, No, I'm a socialist. I want to be in a socialist party. I'm quite happy to be in the Labour Party. Well, that's an exaggeration. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> the Labour Party isn't a mess, but it's still my party. It's not a case of let's find a bit of a soggy, mushy middle where we can all kind of not, not talk about the controversies. Actually, it's much, much more difficult than that. It's let's say we fundamentally disagree on these things. But how do we go about fundamentally disagreeing in such a way that rebuilds the country? In such a way that we can have these arguments, but there isn't an act of violence threatened against an MP every day for the first 22 days of this year, for example. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, just, just for a moment. Sure. I wouldn't call Chuck uh, and the devil. That's, that's, that's harsh. <laughs> well, it's funny enough, that's exactly who, that, who I was going to... Um, mention I, i'm uh, fond of chucker yeah i knew chucker well well not well but reasonably well when he was an mp he's a nice guy um when he, he was a labor mp he's still an mp yes sorry you're right apologies that's <laughs> <laughs> not to see yet uh, i mean i can't see streatham not going labor but as i say everything i can't see happening happens so um so chucker should be feel quite confident in that <laughs> um but i he, he's yeah he's a nice guy but i just none of the policy that's tig have yet pronounced has had the slightest bit of appeal to me uh and i you know i get the i don't want to be in a party where people are as vile to each other as people are in the labor party all too often i totally get that um but i want a socialist alternative that's nicer i don't see why i have to choose between being nice and being a socialist okay it, you obviously are reading my mind right? because I was going to mention uh, Chucker, right? So I was happy, as many Labour voters were, that, what was it, 2015 when the Labour Party plumped for Corbyn for no other reason than you just thought, you know what, let's just shake things up. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want to sound like an American non-thinking Trump supporter but I did think that I thought you know what yeah right at, le at least you know where you are with this gentleman right so but there was part of me because uh, because I'm not as far left as Corbyn and I'm definitely um, a Euro file mm. I am also a man of colour um, I'm also somebody who has an eye on history and somebody who's very proud to call myself English as opposed to British, but English and black, mm. that the symbolism of Chucker being uh, the Labour Party leader was not lost on me. And I know we ducked out after like two days, yeah. um, but that would have sent for me a very powerful and inclusive message of what the Labour Party actually was is, mm, should mm, be, whatever. Yeah. Let's just say, if he had been the Labour Party leader, I'm not going to say that Brexit wouldn't have happened, but we would have had a very different response from the Labour Party. And I would go so far as to say that um, we wouldn't be in the constitutional political crisis that we're in now i'm not saying that he's superman i'm not saying that at all mm. but you would have a very clear um option away from the government's uh proposed softish brexit 
you've had somebody articulating you know the other side of the argument and we wouldn't be partly in the mess the mess that we're in is not because of jeremy corbyn but he has contributed to it massively by, by by not putting clear blue water between what he what what he wants and what the government wants so i put it to you before we finish that chucker was the person we needed for the job um did i just hear you furiously type away then sorry yes i was just uh, making a note about something i have completely forgotten to do <laughs> <laughs> i do apologize right. i have to That's give the cat right. a flea treatment and if i don't i forget so i had to write it down <laughs> sorry so i just saw That's a right. turd walking past me so anyway yeah no chucker is uh, i mean for me, I don't think Chucker... I get totally the representation issue as, uh, as I've watched the Tory party have two female leaders and Labour never managing to have one. Um, mm -hmm. you know, representation matters. Totally get that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it would have been nice to have um, a leader of colour or a woman. Um, I'm not... I wouldn't have voted for Chucker because he's not my politics. Um, and I think he's become less and less my politics. I mean, the interesting thing about Chucker is that he started off very much my politics. On the soft left, he was on the board of Compass. And then he got elected and he went, did quite a hard handbrake turn to the right. Which no one really expected. Because he was elected in Streatham. He's selected for that as the alternative to the Blairite candidate. It's what no one mm -hmm. remembers. It's extraordinary. Um, I'm not sure he is the person that we need, but he's certainly making the arguments that we need on some of the key issues like Brexit. Um, mm. But then so's David Lammy, and he stayed in the Labour Party, so look, vote for him. <laughs> well, let, David Lammy's not going to put himself up to be leader of the Labour Party any, oh, I in, anytime soon, I wouldn't soon, put it past him. David's got a lot of ambition, and he's got a great profile at the moment. He's had a very, very good couple of years. No, he has, starting from, uh, from Grenfell. Yeah, I mean, um, his, his, I mean, his response to Grenfell was just so absolutely perfect. And, you know, from such an awful tragedy. And you just, his, his ability to articulate that anger and then take that anger and do something practical with it, I just thought was extraordinary. And I, you know, huge amount of respect and time for that. Emma Burnell, thank you for coming on to Mid-Atlantic and explaining some of the twists and the turns <laughs> of the last best. week in British <laughs> politics and trying to explain uh, where the future might take us. It could be a crash out on March 29th. It could be, um, a, well, I'm going to say a softest exit, but no, um, it could be April the 12th or possibly even May 22nd, or you never know. There could be a big question mark over Brexit uh completely but emma thank you for coming on to mid-atlantic and we'll see you um in a few days when we do our regular show with corey absolutely looking forward to it you miss corey have today <laughs> <laughs> you have a great rest of your day emma take care have a great weekend and don't forget, folks, what you can do, you can show us your support for us uh, by going on to Apple iTunes and writing us a review. You know what? Normally we don't we, we don't beg and ask for reviews, but I'm saying right here and now with the fact that we're giving you a special what the fuck is going on with the UK and Brexit edition of the show, get onto Apple iTunes, write us a five-star review. We deserve it. You've had expert analysis from our Emma. Go do it now, because you know what? Good politics is right politics. Be good to each other and always vote left of centre. Toodaloo. Bye-bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.